Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Nihongo Master Podcast. I'm your host Azra and for this episode, we're going to spice things up a bit. Mixing business with pleasure can get tricky. So instead, we're mixing business with nature. The thought of starting our own business can make some of us instantly halt, turn on our heels and dash the opposite direction, let alone starting a business in a foreign country. But I have some great news for you. Japan has a program to increase foreign entrepreneurs, which offers an initial six months long visa for overseas businesses to set up shop here. While there are a few boxes that you need to tick before getting one, it opens up numerous opportunities of networking and expansion, not to mention experiencing the business life and everyday life in Japan. So you might be wondering, where does the nature come into play here? Well, I happen to know someone who did what a lot of us are scared to do, open a business, in Japan no less. And his business is all about venturing out into the wilderness and camping under the nature that Japan has an abundance of, in perfectly designed camper vans. And he's our special guest for today. Coming to you from Tokyo, Japan, I'm excited to introduce to you Luke from Overland Japan. He is the mastermind behind this brilliant idea of exploring Japan's rich culture beyond its neon signs and bustling streets, and going on a journey to experience the good old natural wonders the land of the rising sun has to offer. Welcome to the show, Luke! So tell us a bit about your background. I'm Australian. Um, I was born in Melbourne and uh, when I was a teenager, my family moved to a small little coastal town called Nelson Bay. So going from a big city to a really small, uh, typical Australian surfer, small little country town um, where it was uh, life was pretty simple. Um, so moving there was really interesting. Whereas, you know, Melbourne is obviously very multicultural. Probably didn't do that well at school. Um, I was a little bit of a dreamer and um, didn't take it too seriously. And then um, naturally being Australian, when you get your license, um, you get your first car and that's kind of your ticket to freedom. You get out and you explore and Australia is such a big country that um, it's a really normal thing to do to go for road trips and get out and explore and find hidden beaches, hidden mountains, hidden waterfalls. And then I found myself in Japan. And then things uh, kind of changed a lot, really, for me. So um, I came here when I was 19, and I was just a crazy kid that wanted to go see the world, and I was applying for jobs and looking for anything that I could do in the whole world. Um, and then suddenly, um, you know, at that time, I, we were sending faxes. And so I sent a fax to some place in Japan. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Japan, whatever, whatever. Um, then I got a reply. Okay, I got a reply. Sent another reply, sent another reply, 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 reply. And then suddenly it's like, Luke, can you come in four weeks? I'm like, what? I, I was kind of just, just playing with it. I wasn't really taking it very seriously. Japan wasn't somewhere that I had, you know, grew up envisaging myself wanting to be it. You know, mm. the image of Japan was very, uh, wasn't very well known. It was like, you know, suits, business, busy, 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 busy. Mm. That was, that was the impression I had of Japan. But, um, I took the job and the moment I landed, um, something just went <laughs> and I was like, what is going on here? And, um, yeah, from the moment I landed, I was just like, okay, this is a very, very interesting place. So I like to say that Japan chose me. Um, I didn't choose Japan. Mm, that's very was, nice. Yeah, but it's been one of the one of the best things that's happened in my life ever. Okay, so what is Overland Japan? So Overland Japan, in all simplicity, is a camping car rental business. Um, the term Overland or Overlanding 
is something that is made popular in Australia, Africa, North America, South America, the Middle East. And it's a, it's a style of travel where you take everything that you need with you in your vehicle so that you can be self-sustained, uh, self-sustainable for, you know, one, two, three, four, five months. Um, so it's a little small package of everything that you might need compactly put into the car. Traditionally, like overland or overlanding vehicles, they're, they're four-wheel drives because they're made to go, you know, off-road. They're made to go into the jungle, uh, into, the, into the desert, uh, into the snow. Um, so they're very rugged-looking uh, vehicles. And, you know, to Toyotas are obviously very, very popular, and I've got Toyotas. Um, and one of the key points of overlanding is to have a roof tent. And that's where uh, the tent or where you sleep is actually on top of the vehicle. Um, traditionally, that's because it keeps you a bit safer from you know, any type of dangers that might be on the ground level. It could be animals, it could be flash flooding, it could be, could be anything. So um, I've taken that type of uh, design and that feel and brought that to Overland uh, Campus Japan. So why did you decide to start your business in Japan? So I'd already been living and working in Japan and I, I was working in startup companies. So I kind of naturally always had that personality to, to do things and be accountable and re, be responsible for what I'm doing. Um, but I've always worked in sales and I had previously started another business earlier in Australia before. So it was natural for my personality. And now in getting a bit older, I wanted to do something that, you know, I thought was giving back. Mm. Um, and, you know, sales is, it's not necessarily a taking, take, take, take type job, but, you know, you're kind of trying to sell something and, you know, you're trying to do this and you're trying to, you're hustling. Mm. Um, so to start this business now, Overland Japan, it was kind of really inspired by wanting to give back and um, wanted to share a different experience about Japan. I wanted people to, to see different angles, different colors, different, different elements of Japan, which just isn't the typical Tokyo, Osaka, uh, you know, maybe a mountain, Mount Fuji. And, you know, that's kind of everyone's typical vision of Japan today. But there's so much more there. And um, uh, I've wanted to start this business to enable people to, uh, to start seeing uh, those things. Who do you see is your target audience? Initially, I designed the business to be for the outbound or the foreign traveler coming to Japan, but perhaps on their third visit. So the first visit, they come Tokyo or Osaka, they're like, wow, Japan. And then the second time, they might branch out to like, you know, the mountains or they might, you know, they might go to, you know, Hiroshima or Fukuoka or Sapporo or something mm. like that. But then by the third time they come, I feel that they're ready to see a Japan that not everyone's seen. They're ready to, to find their own Japan and find something that isn't just the typical. So originally that's how I felt I really wanted to go after. Um, someone who was willing to kind of take a bit of a, a modern backpacker style concept or feel of travel. But then coronavirus happened. <laughs> um, so I had to pivot the business very quickly and um, went uh, went for the local Japanese market and also kind of the foreign, uh, you know, expat or foreign people that happened to live in Japan or in Tokyo. Um, and that's been um, really positive so far. So what is your vision? I want to introduce the concept of overland and what that type of travel is. And it very much has a, an image attached to it and, and a way of life attached to it. Um, it's, you know, it's almost like a, a gypsy style 
take what you need and leave no trace style method of, of, of travel. So my goal is, is to, to build awareness around this type of travel, get people to feel that type of experience through renter cars and give them itineraries and give them plans, give them ideas and show them, you know, that it's not hard to go find and explore Japan on your own way. And then from there, I want to move into camping goods and move into merchandise and, you know, and, and build out the, the brand that is the lifestyle of what it means to be overland. So overland Japan also provides like itineraries? Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Right. So what has been the most difficult part of your journey in Japan compared to your home country? In the business or in, in general? Both. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> funny. The first thing that comes to mind, it's a good thing and a bad thing. But, you know, being Australian, it's natural for our personality to bend the rules. And we're always looking for either a bit of a shortcut or we're looking for, you know, to bend a rule to make things a little bit easier for us in that given moment or what we're trying to do. But in Japan, it just doesn't work like that. <laughs> the rules are the rules. People just don't even question the idea of doing anything differently to the rules. And by suggesting, can we do it this way? You know, people honestly look at you just a bit confused yeah. and like, why are you even asking to do something different to the rules? So I think, you know, that was one of the biggest, you know, challenges. And I still have that today, you know. I, I still would like to, you know, do something a little bit differently or bend the rules here. Or can't we just do it like this that time? Can't we just do it like this this time? Um, but no, it doesn't really work ah. like that. So that applies to both business and general life. Absolutely. Like, um, you know, one example I always laugh about is, you know, I used to go uh, to my local Tsutaya, which is a place where you would rent, you know, rent DVDs and rent movies and stuff like that. And, you know, I used to go a couple of times a week and, you know, I'm pretty sure there's not many people that kind of have my name or look like me in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I'll go in there, have my little membership card and rent it and rent it and rent it. But then one day I forgot my membership card mm -hmm. and I go in there like, you know, they look at me like they've never seen me before. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been there like, you know, for months and months and months. But the day that you forget your membership card and I just want to give them my name or my phone number or tell them my code it's like i didn't even exist it's like we have never seen you in our life before um unless you've got the card you don't exist so um that's just a, a little example that i always reminds me of um don't don't try and break the rules yeah they're a stickler for the rules over here so other than that mm. did you need to adjust your everyday schedule or habits when you moved to japan yeah, of course. Um, but it was probably to, for the easier. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is like public transport. Um, you know, in Australia, you know, if you're relying on public transport, you're kind of lucky if the bus comes or, you know, or if the train's on time or if, it, you know, so I found that, you know, I've been able to adjust my schedule to to finding a real um, kind of confidence that, you know, the transport's going to work and it's gonna, going to get me from A to B. Mm. So, um, you know, I've been able to cut down uh, a lot of time and things that, you know, and that type of worry. It's funny, like I almost find myself a bit angry now if I arrive at the train, uh, the train station and the train just left, oh. you know, and then I have to wait three minutes <laughs> until the next one. I honestly find myself a little bit Damn! Oh, God. Yeah, I you feel know, the exact same way. <laughs> you know, when you go back to Australia, like, you know, you miss a bus and the next one's one and a half hours later, you know, you've you got, you know, got to check yourself sometimes, <laughs> like, you know, how good it is the transport system here. But I just think it's funny that I've gone to a point of where waiting three minutes for a train becomes a, a bit of an inconvenience. And is, is, isn't that crazy? 
I think like if the train or bus is delayed, mm. I get a bit annoyed. <laughs> like you're supposed to be on time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you're like wondering, is this gonna make the newspaper? Is this gonna make the make the <laughs> even actually coming here today? I noticed that you know you know because I checked on Google Maps how to get here, and it gave gave me the times and the changes and all that. And I recognize that the train that I took left one minute early. And that's kind of, you know, that could be in the papers tomorrow. The train <laughs> leaves one minute early. Commuters upset because they missed their transfer or were confused why the train left early. And that's that actually happens here. Um, if a train leaves early, um, quite often the train company will issue an apology um, really? the next day. It's happened many, many times. Oh, my. Especially for Shinkansen's or, or some sort of long duration thing. Not because it's late. It's because if it left early, they will, uh, you know, they will issue an official apology. It's because like people just run into the very last second and you see it close right behind them. And they're like, yes, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of times it left early for me and I was mm. like, mm. my stop is a local stop. Yeah. So it's like another 10 minutes. Oh, I know. Isn't that the worst thing in the world? I Waiting know. 10 minutes. <laughs> you know? Um, wow. Gosh. First world problems. First world problems. <laughs> How is it doing business in Japan? Tell me about the challenges that you face and are facing as an entrepreneur. The first one is for sure language. Like I, I speak Japanese, um, but I'm not the strongest at reading and writing it. And naturally being a foreigner, like 50% of the time, it's a positive. You know, you, 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 get a, you get a little bit of a go easy card, but then 50% of the time you get that no way card. Um, so it works both ways. So you, you're kind of walking a tightrope. Are people or our services going to be encouraging and helpful of what you're trying to do? Or are they going to see you as, you know, a bit of a difficulty that I don't, they don't really want to, you know, spend all the time to try and help you on, you know, on your thing. But definitely language is always a barrier. Um, and, you know, and when you're doing a startup where, you know, your income or your, you know, your, your money generated in the beginning is pretty low. And, you know, you know, most businesses will run at a loss for the first year or two. Mm. Um, so I would say that, you know, I stretch the relationship of some of my friends in getting them to help, you know, translate or communicate or read something for me or, or write something for me. So definitely, you know, I push the boundaries of, um, of friendship on, you know, you know, the help me type friendship boundaries definitely get pushed. Mm, I've been there. Mm. <laughs> so as a foreigner in Japan with your business here, mm. how do you think that affects your business? I think for what I'm doing, it's a positive. Um, I think people in the kind of camp or outdoor or travel industry in, in Japan, they're generally really positive to see someone like me wanting mm. to get involved. Um, and I'm celebrating their country. You know, my, my mission statement is to encourage people to go to the lesser known areas, places that aren't where the, where the bullet train doesn't touch, or, you know, maybe even trains don't touch or buses don't go there. You know, I want people to go travel those streets or those little towns that, you know, have suffered greatly through tourism changing. And it's not, you know, they don't have the marketing budget to, to really push for the outside foreigners to come. So I found that people are really excited about what I'm doing. I found people to be really positive. I found Japanese businesses want to partner with me. Um, they want me to to talk to them. They want me to uh, be involved with with this movement. So, in that regard, I found it to be really positive. That's very refreshing to hear. Because mm. I know some people when I started my fashion business here, they're like, "Want the Japanese? They're they're more comfortable with their own 
I think a lot of people still have that image. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, people who like to camp, you know, they're a little bit nutty. They're a little bit different. You know, they're not city folk or they're city folk that has found a little bit of a secret of escaping the city and, and finding a little bit of, you know, solitude or a bit of a peace and quiet. So, you know, I generally find that, you know, that's a real positive also about the experience. If you go to some of the larger camping sites or smaller camping sites, people are generally really different to how they are in Tokyo. They're open. They, they make eye contact. They're interested. They want to engage. Um, you know, they don't, they don't treat strangers as, as, as dangerous people. Um, because there's a common interest there. So I find that there's a really strong community when it comes to the outdoors, um, some sort of physical activity, climbing mountains, um, surfing, swimming, uh, camping. There's a really nice communal type feel um, to, to, to those people that are interested in that here in Japan. Oh, very nice. So when you go camping, hmm. what are, what other kinds of people it's mainly japanese people but oh, you know okay. a, a smile and you know a gesture of would you like a drink or do you want to try this food that translates across mm. the world and that's really really normal um and you know and the camping cars that i've designed they're quite unique they're quite eye-catching they're very custom built so people actually are drawn to come and have a look and they're quite curious to ask questions because, you know, there's lots and lots of gadgets and goodies and things like that in the camping world. And people who are into it, they like to kind of spy and see what other people have got, what equipment they're using, what, you know, how they're doing this, how they're doing that. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, people actually want to engage. Um, and language can take, you know, a smile, a, a gesture of a beer, as I said, is, um, it's universal. Give us an insight of what is in your camp events? So on the roof, as I mentioned, we have the roof tent and that's uh, suitable for two to three people or for some of our other options, we do have larger four or five person option tents on there. And then in the rear, we have a full working kitchen. Um, so you've got your gas cooking appliances, you've got your tables, you've got your chairs, you've got all your cooking goods, things that you need to cook with, you've got um, ingredients, um, you've got outdoor lights, um, you've got Bluetooth speakers, you've got uh, games for wet weather. Um, it's got everything basically except for a toilet and a shower. <laughs> Where, why this works, in my opinion, for Japan is because you can incorporate the onsen or the hot bath type uh, lifestyle. So mm. you camp and then the next day you go to an onsen or a hot bath or, you know, every convenience store has a toilet or campsites, of course, they've got toilets, showers and bathrooms and everything as well. Um, so it, something that is a bit of a difficulty in other countries is actually part of the journey in Japan. How about heat? Heater, yeah. So we have a full battery uh, battery system inside the vans, um, and that runs electric blankets and heater heating system inside the tents. So um, it's it's very much possible to go uh, overlanding in the snow. Mm. You can you can actually camp at the bottom of a ski resort, have your snowboard on top of the camping car, sleep there, wake up, and go down the mountain. Wow, that sounds amazing. So all year round. All year round. Perfect. When is usually the best time to go on a camping trip? Honestly, every season has its positive points. Um, it kind of depends on your personality or what kind of experience um, you're looking to have. And also, you know, Japan is, it's actually a very long, you know, north to south country, meaning that you can find warm weather pretty much any time of the year and you can find cold weather 
um, pretty much any time of the year. So, and it, you know, you've got four seasons everywhere you go as well. Um, but for me, I probably like, you know, the months leading up to summer, you know, wind the window down or put the air con on <laughs> and, you know, at nighttime, the, you know, the humidity and the, and the temperature does drop. Um, another positive about being in a roof tent is that you're elevated and you can catch a bit of wind coming through. Hot weather's great. It means that you can open up the, uh, the roof tent, you know, leave it wide open and you sleep literally under the stars. So do you have any recommendations for a good camping spot? Give um, us your top three. I think for a first-time experience, doing uh, camping by Mount Fuji. There's numerous camp spots all around Mount Fuji where you can wake up in the morning and you get a, a bird's-eye sunrise view of Mount Fuji, or also in the evening you get a really nice sunset. And, you know, Japan being Japan is they celebrate every angle of Mount Fuji. Um, so it's not just one viewpoint. Like So from the north you might get... A specifically interesting sunrise from the from the south you might get a specifically interesting afternoon and same goes for um, east or west and they very much celebrate all the different moods of mount fuji depending on the location um, and also in those areas there's a lot of farming area there's a lot of natural produce and there's a lot of activities to do in, from anything from kayaking to uh, stand up paddle boarding all the way to of course you could climb mount fuji um, to going to f- um, farms and um, you know, collecting fruit or um, there's a lot of activities to do in that area. So I think that's definitely um, really good for a first time camping experience. Um, my second one would be maybe doing the Izu Peninsula where you go around the whole coastline of Izu. On the east side, it's a little more coastline where there's more beaches and uh, it's, it's quite high cliffs um, and there's a lot of onsens going down that way. And then you get to the southern tip which is like howling winds and beautiful sunsets into the distance. And then you go along the west side, which is more rugged coastline and Mount Fuji views all the way. Um, And then even down the middle of Izu, there's waterfalls and, um, you know, really good hiking. So um, I feel that, you know, Izu is also a really, really good option. And then number three, um, I actually like Gifu into Toyama. Um, which is like a, more of a, more of a valley, uh, mountainous type area. Um, you get a really beautiful view of the Japanese Alps um, with snow along them, but then you also have the coastline on the other side. And then there's places like Kurobe Dam or all the or, or all of the um, uh, valleys in between uh, Gifu, Toyama, and back to Tokyo. There's some beautiful driving in, in that area. What is your advice for people who want to start a business in Japan? Be prepared to fail. Um, make sure you're passionate about it. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Be prepared to pay for the right help. It's pretty hard to say, I can do everything or I can do this, I can do that in Japan. Uh, I, there's just some things that you're just better off getting someone else to kind of help you with that or pay someone else to help you with that. In a native-speaking country or your, or your home country, you might feel confident to try and uh, take on all aspects of doing it. But, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to ask for help. And similar to what I said earlier, there will be people that will want to help. There'll be people that want to see your success. I, I've always had a feeling in Japan that people genuinely want the best for me and want me to succeed. I get a sense that they feel that they would be failing if I was to fail in their country. Oh, that's very nice. 
So we're going to move on to a lighter tone. Yep. What are some of the few Japanese words and phrases that you found interesting? Related to what I'm doing, there's a word called michi no eki, um, which translates to street station. And it's basically a roadhouse or a road station, somewhere where you take a break. They've usually got a convenience store, some toilet showers. Um, you can even camp in these places. But I just like the, the literal translation of michi no eki, which is you know, the station of the road. Masugu is a word that just means direct, straight ahead, go forward. And I actually don't understand <laughs> why that word means that. Um, but I've always just thought that's a really interesting word because there's no real perfect translation for it in English. It's just masugu. And it can be used in, in, in many different forms. I use that in direction, in only direction. Yeah. <laughs> like the taxi driver, just masugu. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think it is very directional based. Right. Okay. And another one would be te no mai, which means just just before or just before something. And I think the translation is te is obviously hand, and then no it belongs to mai. So it's just just before your hand. You know, I, it kind of means right in front of you or right in front of your eyes. So it's just in front of your hand. Te no mai just means right in front, right in front of you. Very literal. Yeah, very literal. Which um, you know, I kind of I, I get a giggle out of that. If we're trying to explain something in, in English, it's like you can do it in all sorts of complicated ways. Then you ask a Japanese person, oh, how do you say that? And it's the simplest form. Yeah. It's the most direct Absolutely. form. Absolutely. It, it's, it's kind of mathematical and it's logical. Like the example that I use is, and you don't realize it until you come to Japan and then someone wants to try and, you know, practice or learn a little bit of English with you. And they ask questions about your language um, that you realize how confusing English must be. And the example I would use is the months. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, etc, etc, etc. I've just always known that. Like that's January is January, you know, February is February, March is March. And they ask you, why January, January? You know, why March, March? Why June, June? I'm like, I don't know, it's just, that's just what it is. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and that's coming from a place because, you know, their explanation of months is itchy, which is, you know, number one. And then gatsu, which is month. So January is ichi gatsu. February is ni gatsu. Mm -hmm. uh, March is san gatsu. So it's first month, second month, third month, you know, totally logical. <laughs> and then when they come and ask me, why is March? What's the, you know, what is the correlation or the relationship between October and March? And I'm like, I've got no idea. <laughs> they have like the months that are simple and then the days. I can never get yeah, the days. Yeah, I know. They right? get it. But it's still easier than what we do. Like, you know, the teens and you know, 19, 20, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Like, none of that makes any sense. So, Fair enough. <laughs> you know, they do have a few, I, I agree, they do, like, they do have a few tricky things when it comes to um, the numbers in that way. Ah, if you want to say, like, the 20th for that month, there's a whole yeah. new other word for it, yep, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Just remember that if we say, like, or something's, like, watery, the ass is, like, mizupoi. And it's like, it's funny to me when I first heard it because poi is like, looks like. Mm. Yeah, the language is cool. It has those little, those little fragments at the end that kind of finish things off. Like the poi, for example, it mm, can be, mm. it, they can attach that little seems like or appears to be kind of poi at the end of little things and it kind of changes, changes things away. And that's something that we don't really have in English as well. But, you know, Japan's probably only had really, you know, two or three major influences in its language. And it was obviously isolated in it uh, for a very long time. And it kind of cultivated its language and 
and, and really developed its own soul that way. So it's, it's a lot less, um, you know, polluted to somehow, to sometimes explain why something is in English. I get the sense that there's a lot of times that actually isn't an explanation unless you're a deep historian <laughs> and you just have to go, it's just like that. <laughs> just accept it. Whereas, you know, for, for the Japanese, that might be quite confusing. They would ask me, why, why do you use this form instead of that gramophone? Like, I don't know, yeah. man. Like, it makes you feel stupid, right? Like, as, I think, like, as a native, it's even worse because we learn it, like, by ear. Yeah. We go every day just by listening. And then when they ask, why do people say it like that? I'm like, it sounds more poetic, I guess. <laughs> why is it poetic? I don't know. It's mad. Yeah. yeah. It's a real gift to start learning another language mm. and being able to, to think in another language. It really is a unique trait and thing to, to, to have, to articulate something in a different language where the construction and the meaning of what you're saying is very, very different, but you're getting the same point across. Mm. You know, I, I never dreamt that I would be bilingual, to be honest, when I was a kid. I just I thought, why, why bother? Why would I ever need to speak anything but English? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been, um, it's been a really uh, great thing to have happened. How did you start learning Japanese? I wasn't afraid to make mistakes. Um, I was prepared to look, sound stupid. Um, but the biggest advice I will give is you've got to work at it. Um, you've got to recognize how you learn. Like... Learning Japanese isn't one of those languages where you just go, oh, you live there for six months, 12 months, and you'll start speaking it. No, no, no. no I don't know anyone. You know, I, I, I don't know anyone. If Rain Man came here or someone who has just an amazing brain, maybe they can pull it off. But for me, I, I learn by writing. So I, I would study a new word and I would write it down over and over and over and over again. And that's how I learned. And that's how I would learn in school. That's how I learned in, in general. I, I was never someone that read something and boom, it was there. I was never like that. I had to write things. And so, you know, I started off with getting some textbooks. And then by the end of it, I ended up uh, literally just rewriting out dictionaries of words. I would get, you know, go through a dictionary, write the word, write it out, write it out, write it out. And that's, it's a very slow process, but um, for me, that was the way that I learned. And, um, after a year, I got to that point where you could start asking a question in Japanese and be taught in Japanese. And that's Ooh. a real major breakthrough where you can say, sore wa nan desu ka? which is like, what is that? Mm -hmm. You know, and then someone will respond and go, you know, pasakon, mm. you know, uh, microphone mm. or something like that. So you that is a real key point when you can start asking a basic question in Japanese, receive an answer and possibly learn mm. that way. And that's a real big turning point. And for me, that took about 12 months. I think I came to Japan with a JLPT4 and I was like, yeah, I'm going to use it. Came here for the first six months, did not use a single word. It's that fear of like, what if I make a mistake? What if like they're not going to, like they're going to have a low view of me if I say something wrong. But then after a couple of, after a year, I think, I realized they don't care. They don't care at all. They're like, as long as you can understand me, I understand you. And whatever mistakes you make, I don't really care. 
you've you've got to get over that very very quickly. I think like, look, sure you might you might look a little bit silly once or twice, but once you've learned you know that same question that you're trying to or that same thing you're trying to learn, and after the second time you've got it, and then you move on. Mm. And then, you know, you might look a little bit silly asking another question, but you know, you look silly twice, but then once you're over that hurdle, you know, you've gone so far. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's a real shame to be, you know, hiding behind looking for perfection before you engage. Um, I think that's, um, it's not the approach to have. Okay. So thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? Tell me your social media plugs. Uh, firstly, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for inviting me on your program. Thank you for coming it's, over. Uh, it's been a really nice experience. To find us, you can find Overland Campus Japan on our website, www.overlandjapan.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, which is Overland Campus Japan, and Instagram is Overland Japan. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. And that wraps up our fun and engaging look into the Japanese business world as well as camping culture in Japan. Shout out to Luke for sharing with us his experiences and insights. I'd say the biggest takeaway, whether it's starting a business, going camping or learning a new language, is to be brave and not be afraid to fail. Not once, not twice, but as many times as you need to come out on top. If you want to learn Japanese for yourself, you can find Nihongo Master on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and the official website to learn more about our innovative online learning system. And if you're looking to get behind the wheel and sleep under the stars, you know where to find Overland Japan. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I hope you'll tune in next time when we discover another part of Japan's rich culture. Mata ne!